Hey guys, I'm happy to tell you about this documentary that I'm thrilled is sponsoring this week's episode. Um, Enter the world of internet sex workers who find economic freedom, empowerment, and creative self-expression in working from home. Award-winning director Sean Dunn meets the women behind the webcams in his latest documentary, Cam Girls. See the groundbreaking film now, exclusively on Vimeo On Demand. Save 10% off when you enter the code SANDRA10, that's S-A-N-D-R-A-1-0, at vimeo.com slash on demand slash camgirls. That's camgirls with a Z before March 15th, 2015. I checked out the trailer. It looks amazing. Like, really, I, uh, it's beautiful. I definitely recommend you checking this thing out. So uh, anyway, um, thanks so much and uh, let's get to it. Now entering Nerdist.com. Hey, sex nerd. I am excited for this week's episode. Uh, We're going to get a little bit more intimate and you're going to get to know more about me. And I feel okay about that. So isn't that personal growth? Isn't it? Uh, A few dates before we start. Uh, First, I will be in a major sex party tomorrow, March 28th. If you're in Los Angeles, come out. It's majorsexparty.com. It is a quiz show. It's comedy. It's uh, modeled after, um, oh goodness, uh, oh, Hardwick's at Midnight, Hollywood Game Night, and Whose Line Is It Anyway? It's going to be a ton of fun at BuzzBee's East. Check it out, majorsexparty.com. New York City, April 3rd. I won't be there, but you should really celebrate this anniversary. The New York City Sex Nerds. It's their two-year anniversary. Meetup.com. Check it out. Um, Come out. And send me pictures. I want to see, because I won't be there. Also, I will be at Bridgetown Comedy Fest in Portland, Oregon. May 9th will be the day of my show. Um, look out for announcements as that comes available for tickets to be purchased. I don't know how big the venue is, so buy them soon in case it's a small venue. Body storytelling. Officially, I will be hosting the next few months. If you're in Los Angeles, I'm beside myself for the excitement. Totally. Okay. Australia. Yes, I will be in you. New Zealand. Yes, I'll be in you too. Oh, it'll be so good. Sydney, 15th and 16th of May. Auckland, 18th to the 21st. Wellington, 23rd to 24th. All in May, 2015. If you're there, send me an email, sexnerdsandra at gmail.com. Let me know what cities and if you've got a group because I'm still planning this tour. It's going to be great. But no matter what, there will be an evening where I say, hey guys, I will be at this place. Come say hi. So there will be a meetup for you uh, in those three cities. All right. Let's see. Los Angeles. I'll be teaching at the Pleasure Chest in June and July. Look out for those announcements. That's it. I just wanted to make sure you had the dealios. Mark your calendars. Always, I'm available for public speaking. At the beginning of the year, I announced, hey, I don't want to be a sex educator anymore. And that was so nice because I got to actually reconnect with my curiosity. And since then, I've had a few public speaking gigs where I I really combined the parts of sex ed that I respect and love and that I feel that I can own with my sense of curiosity and play and the importance of those messages. And so I don't know what I am right now, but I'm having a really good time professionally doing this and people seem to be lit up by what I'm doing. So yay. So if you um, know of a group, uh, an organization, a corporation, I don't care, uh, human beings who want to bring me in, please let me know. Sexnerdsandra at gmail.com. Okay. Don't worry. No matter what you hear on this podcast, I'm okay. And hopefully you're okay. And if you are a person who is dealing with depression, mm, obsessive thinking, um, panic, anxiety, if you feel like you're going around in circles, if you feel like no one cares about you, if you feel like you are alone and waving to other people and trying to get help, but no one's really noticing, get professional help, seriously. Um, And if it's a a monetary thing, if it's a budget thing, you can't, there are people who go to school for this and need hours. There is a low income counseling is available in so many places, especially at local universities. Check it out. Okay. I care about you. Take care of yourself. I have been through a lot and I get it. Okay. Um, that's it. Okay. Enjoy the show. Yay. I'm glad to be back podcasting. Woo. Hey guys, it's Sandra and I'm with my friend Rachel. Hey Rachel. Hi. Hi. Uh, from such episodes as there was a blowjob episode, right? Yes. 
What was it? It was like you, Yvette, and me talking about um, steak, steak and a blowjob day. That's right. Last year, steak and a blowjob day. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Um, I'm about to talk about some stuff um, before we get into our interview with, or my interview with uh, Joellen Naughty about sex and depression. But I, I really feel like I've been a mess the last couple of weeks. So I felt like, you know, I think it's time on this podcast to come clean about a few things. And since we were hanging out, I thought maybe it might be helpful to have someone in the room. So I'm not just alone talking to a microphone. Are you cool with that? Yeah, totally. (laughs) Cool. And I've told you some of this stuff already. So, um, I feel like, I don't know. You don't have to act surprised because you already kind of know stuff, but I've basically gone insane for two weeks. Not insane, like hurting people insane, but like, I've discovered... You mean haven't felt like yourself? Like, well, I was on medication that put me into almost a manic state, which which turned me into a different type of person. I was interacting with people differently. I was... I was... I mean, you, you know, yesterday I would spend a lot of time at the mall returning things because I went, I got obsessed with buying stuff. Like I didn't get on a plane anywhere. I didn't buy a boat, but I was like, I was shopping constantly online and just being obsessed with consuming things. I was interrupting people constantly. I was, Oh, the gunslinging, the finger guns. Oh yeah. I, I was, it's like being basically I saw a psychiatrist because at some point, and, and you know on the show, that I have some depression issues. And I've been in therapy for two years talking about I'm really doing a lot of work. And at some point, my therapist and I, I kind of looked at her and she looked at me and I was like, there really is just something wrong with me, isn't there? Because we've done so much work and just these cycles of depression and these weird moments where I'm, I'm doing so well and then I just crash and burn. And she's like, yeah, I mean, I didn't really want to, you know, I want you to go see a psychiatrist about this, but I'm pretty sure that the main issue is chemical with you. I mean, I've been tracking you. Like my therapist secretly has been tracking my ups and downs. She's like, oh yeah, there's specific cycles that you go through. And so no matter what, because I talk about wanting to, to write a book or do anything, but I'm constantly not able. I'm barely, basically the amount of energy and emotion it takes for me just to put out this podcast. And then on top of that, doing laundry and feeding myself, I am, there is nothing left for me to do anything else. Like I am barely functioning without trying to find medication to get me to a place where I'm steady. Um, and no one would know. Isn't that scary? Like, have you ever known, have you ever thought, like, Sandra's off? Like, oh, well, beside regular off. No, I honestly, before we talked about it, I, there's, there's no way I could have guessed. It didn't seem like, um, like any kind of big flow, any kind of big ups and downs. Like, yeah, like it wasn't like, whoa, she's like so different now than she was two weeks ago. Yeah. What's going on with her? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, um, someone at Nerdist actually, we were playing pool at a at a party, and we were talking about anger. And I said, "I'm a really angry person." He's like, "No, you are not. You are not angry." It's like, no, I don't believe that my emotional state should bleed onto other people, and so I keep that contained. And he was kind of like, "Whoa!" He's like, "I wish other people would know that. Like, I wish other people knew how to do that." But it's so lonely at some point when you're having such pain. Like I, I've had chronic emotional pain for years and only now am I, Oh, you're making the saddest face. No, I get it. I get it. I get what you're saying. I've been there. So I like, I understand what that means to like, well, to hold it back from other people or to, I don't know, just, uh, be in a space where it just feels so lonely, even though you totally know there's people that you could talk to. Or reach out to or friends or absolutely i but i didn't i didn't even realize that was an option really because to me other people might come to me for help or come to me for support but i don't it took a long time to develop the skills to ask for help and not feel like a total fuck up for you know feeling like i'm less than because i'm the one who needs to not be alone you know i remember when i was a threat to myself and it was so strange to have to request someone to be near me 
like I was in a relationship. Um, this was two years ago when I started to go into therapy. Cause I was like, Oh, I am going to die if I don't have someone be with me, you know? Um, and this is all really heavy, but the interesting thing is that, um, about a year, year or so. And then I talk about it on the podcast cause we talk about sex on here and my sex drive dropped. And of course, when you're talking about sex every day, every week, that is important to realize, Oh, I haven't actually had a strong urge to, or, to have sex or be attracted to anyone in quite a while. Like that's just kind of scary. And, and at the same time, like, Oh, I'm not distracting so I can do other things. So it's kind of okay. But my doctor put me on lithium, which I, you, you actually, when I told you had quite a reaction to lithium, like, what have you heard about lithium? Um, I mean, not that much. It just sounded like a a really serious one to be put on. It sounded like if that was going to be your first try, that's a big jump. Yeah, my therapist thought so too. I'm actually switching psychiatrists, <laughs> but but I've been waiting for my next appointment for that. No, but I'm currently on my third medication because there's I had no idea the level of side effects, and and this episode is really a personal journey around depression. But I was put on lithium as a first try because I was so unstable and 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 really mainly depressed, but also I'd have hypomanic states, but just having random urges. So anyway, so lithium was actually pretty cool, except then I learned what medical fatigue is like because it tanked my thyroid. I get on Abilify and you guys, you can Google this stuff and this isn't going to necessarily happen to you because my, my psychiatrist had never heard of this happening before. I get on this drug called Abilify, which is a mood stabilizer. I get hyper sexual. Like I want to fuck so many people. I am hunting. And I even, cause I had another doctor's appointment and I was like, I was planning out how to ask my doctor out. I interviewed someone for this podcast in the entire episode. I'm totally, and I'm not going to tell you who, because there's so many episodes, but you can play guessing games, but I definitely during the episode was just like, Oh yeah. And I am not that person. Oh my God. It was so bad. Um, but it was fun. It was fun to remember what I was like when I was like 20. Oh like, God. Oh, that girl. I remember that. But it was a rat. It was like, I am not into this person, but God, I just want to jump on their face. I, and that's not my style. So it's weird to just be that person when I'm not that person. Yeah. Have you ever been a person other than you? Yes. Yeah? Of course. Oh. Um, just struggling with stuff where you consider yourself a relatively happy person. Mm-hmm. And then there are times or weeks that you just can't get out of what's wrong. You, mm-hmm. You've tried talking yourself into it. You don't want to really ask anybody because... It's not some kind of, you know, deep depression, but it just seems like whatever's going on in your head won't shut up. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it does a lot of physical stuff too. Like your stomach gets all weird. Oh God. Yeah. Like, I mean, not just quote unquote weird. I mean like wrecked, mm-hmm. just wrecked. And all you can do, you start talking yourself out of it. Like you're better than this. Don't worry about it. You're cool. That lead just five seconds later you're you're back into like this scary place where you're just not good enough you're you know just yeah yeah beating yourself up about it and you're like god isn't there like something i can take real fast that just gets this to or whatever give me the drugs i mean i'm not like a always a go-to drug person but you know it's that time where you're just like man i need this to be over because i have to go to work (laughs) so yeah i've had that yeah. No, I, it's so funny that for you being in a depressed state is like, oh my God, where did I go? Who am I right now? For me being in a depressed state, but then acting, creating a persona that is baseline normal or right. peppy. I mean, I also am naturally very peppy, so I'm not always like hiding something, but, and you can play guessing games all you want on the podcast and maybe someday I'll do a retrospective and tell you which episodes I was secretly like dying inside. But generally 
I love doing what I do, so it takes me out of it. Like I'm enjoying talking to you right now, and and hey, I'm on my third medication, which is doing pretty well. So yay. Um, but to be well, to take a pill and be like excited about life, attracted to people, uh, vibrant, interested in shopping, like it sounds great. But then I was like going out at night a lot, which is not my style either. I'm more of an introvert. And then interrupting people because I, in my head, I was thinking like, you're boring me. Let me talk. Like my turn to talk. Like I was getting aggressive and I, and I couldn't believe how, and now it's even a little bit habitual. So I'm, I'm noticing that I'm just going to calm me down about my conversation style. But I really, I was stepping on people's toes. I was getting angry at my partner more for no reason, like just little things. And so it was strange. It was strange money-wise, interruption-wise, aggression, buying shit. It was, who was I? And oh, and the amount of control, the amount of energy it took for me to push push that intensity down to a workable level I couldn't get the podcast done because I was like, mm. fuck it. Fuck everything. I don't care. I'm going to go shop. I'm going to like, who is that person? Yeah. Who is she? Cause it wasn't me. My, my psychiatrist, when I did see him was like, I cannot believe that you've been on this for two weeks. Why didn't so you stop? It made you so different. Yeah. I didn't, but I also was like, oh, this is different and maybe this is better. Yeah. You didn't know that it was a bad or that it was something that he would be worried about. He or she. Right. Well, he gave me the heads up like, hey, you don't have to tolerate anything weird. If you have side effects, stop immediately and give me a call. But I I was like, let me write this out. Maybe this is just what I'm just so not used to being normal that I just can't identify it. Mm -hmm. Um, But then not being able to get the podcast done and having such a reckless abandon, just reckless abandon about it was actually a major sign of me going, I need to call my psychiatrist because this is unnatural. Um, But anyway, so (laughs) part of the reason why I'm sitting down with you, it's not so much a confessional as like, I really think that this is an important part of life is that our doctors put us on different drugs. And I had no idea the power of what a drug could do. Now, these are not SSRIs. These are mood stabilizing drugs um, focused more on people who are bipolar. Um... I am possibly bipolar too, which is like a gentler form of bipolar. Mainly I'm depressed, but I do get excited. Well, you guys know I'm very excitable. I like things. Um, but, uh, but I'm not diagnosed necessarily. I haven't been through a battery of tests yet or anything. Um, so who knows? Maybe I'm just anxious. We don't know. There's mainly, I'm just a sad feelings, empathetic person. Who knows? Right, Rachel? Who really knows? That's, who? You tell me who it is. I don't know. I'm going to reach out to them. Okay. <laughs> Give them a call. Okay, so now I know what illogical, arbitrary confidence feels like. It's great. It almost felt like I turned into a sociopath for a little bit of time. Like, not much empathy. Didn't really care. Just did what I wanted. Just, I, It's such a strange thing to experience that. It's. I will carry that as a lesson to a different way of how to be. Um, because I have such low self-confidence so often. So it's a nice, like, Oh, that's fun. This is Abilify. That's the yes. one that you had tried. But that reaction was atypical. He'd never heard of someone actually getting into it. Cause I had gotten into an extreme hypomanic state. This is not, I was hoping you would say not atypical. I want to try it. I want to have less empathy. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to give that a whirl. <laughs> Oh, I I know what you mean. (laughs) It was neat. It was really neat. Um, But exhausting. But I still had all my anxiety. I still had Mm -hmm. panic. Uh, But I was spending more of my energy fighting the urge to purchase large things. Um, Extreme changes to my, you know. I'm so glad I didn't go get a tattoo. You know? Um, (sighs) Me too. <laughs> that snake would have looked super weird. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Especially with cartoon eyes. I know. Ugh. Ugh. Um Rachel, thank you for sitting with yeah, me and no kinda letting me talk about this a little bit. Yes, my pleasure. 
Yeah, thanks for having me. Personal things. Mm -hmm. You're rad. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so up next, we're going to learn how to pronounce Joellen's name and get into sex and depression. It's pretty interesting stuff. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Sex Nerd Sandra Podcast. Whoa, what are all these kids doing in here? Hey, if you're under 18, go ask your mom. Now that we're alone, let's start the show. Well, hello, redhead bedhead. Hello. We meet finally in front of a microphone. I know, it's very exciting. We have been Facebook friends for a long time, and I've seen so many of your posts, mm-hmm. and I've seen you across the room at conferences and not met you. I know. I The last time I was at a conference, I went... Right after you spoke, I went, like, running up to talk to you, and, like, uh-huh. five people came in between us, and I was like, I'm not going to be a weird lurker person. <laughs> so I ran away. Oh, man. I feel yeah. like that was a while ago. It was. It was, like, last spring. Oh, goodness. So much has happened. Um, I've brought you here today to the couch that you're staying on, or wherever you're staying. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know where you sleep. Um, but I, I've come over to talk to you while you're in town f- about... This thing that you keep posting about sex and depression, like you keep posting about it, and at some point, Joellen, your real name? No, this is my name. Joellen, not naughty. Oh, stop it! True story. N o t t e. N o t t e. Naughty. Naughty. And you went with redhead bedhead. I couldn't go with some kind of pun. It just couldn't happen. It's your <laughs> that is your given name, right? Yeah. So you've lived your whole life with a pun. Here's the thing. To me, it never sounded... To me, we always said naughty, and I'd spell it out... I'd sound it out like Mm K-N-O-T-T-Y. It wasn't until I got to college and I met, like, frat guys, and they'd be like, ha-ha, naughty, that I thought it sounded like anything else. I just... I mean, I don't know. I guess it's... (laughs) Hey, sure. Sure. (laughs) You've got two great names right there. Cool. And your hair is, in fact, uh, like fiery, vibrantly red. It is. Totally naturally. (laughs) No. (laughs) You're part dragon. Yep. Yeah. So, um, it feels weird just jumping into a very personal feeling conversation around sex and depression. You are not a therapist, correct? I'm not, no. What do you do out in the world? Well... I am pretty much the redhead bedhead full-time now, these days. Um, yeah, I, I write for a couple of places, and yeah, I spend my time at my computer talking about sex. You write articles. Uh, do you teach workshops? I do teach workshops. I run the Portland Academy of Sex Education. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm pretty much talking about this stuff 24-7 now. Okay, mainly online. Mainly what's online. You, what's your? T- let me guess. Redhead bedhead is your Twitter handle? So let me tell you. In 2011 or 12, somebody took the handle redhead bedhead, tweeted 17 times, and then from what I can be, like what I can tell, they got trapped under something heavy. That's sad. I know. They've they've disappeared, and uh, their last tweet indicated they were stuck in a salon. So (laughs) (laughs) my handle is not redhead bedhead. My handle is bedhead tweeting. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Bedhead tweeting. Yeah. <laughs> do you have a great bed? I do, actually. I have a really cool um, old bed frame. <laughs> it's, it's all swirly. And my, um, my original uh, picture that I used to use for everything had, had it in the background and everything. Awesome. Well, Joelle and Naughty, are you depressed? Um, I am. I, I have been. I've been dealing. Well, I've been dealing with clinical depression for. Um, about 10 years. Mm-hmm. I was first diagnosed when I was 25. And um, there's been, you know, a whole array of medications and doctors and therapists and, and the whole gamut of fun stuff um, that comes with all of that for, yeah, for that whole time. Yeah, it's intense. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, and l- now you... Now, you've been posting lots of articles about sex and depression, mm-hmm. and you'd mentioned 
that there's some sort of project going on. I'm curious what this project is. There is. So, um, so right now I'm, I'm preparing to write a book. Okay. And, um, I'm going to backtrack a little bit. Okay. Um, when I first started my site, I was writing about basically everything that was going on with me, so it didn't occur to me to not write about things that happened involving my depression and sex. And so when I got put on a different drug and it took away my ability to orgasm, I wrote about it. And uh, my site was very new, and it was the first thing people actually started to write to me about. Oh, wow. And I got this, um, a whole bunch of like private messages that were like, hey, me too. I, I know what that's like. And I realized that people really wanted to talk about this. Yeah. And every time I talked about that topic, I got the same response. And more and more, I just realized this was something that was a conversation people wanted to have that wasn't happening. Fantastic. So many people on antidepressants not being able to have orgasms, and no one's talking about it. Exactly. People uh, losing their libido, and nobody talking about people feeling like they were being dismissed, like sex was frivolous. and Mm -hmm. So I decided I was going to do this project. So over the fall, I did a survey. I put out an informal survey. And um, I thought I'd get, you know, a couple hundred responses. I actually got uh, over a thousand people participated in the survey. Um, 500 of them volunteered to be interviewed. I can't do that because I am but one woman. Um, (laughs) So I'm interviewing about 100 of them this spring. Um, And I'm working with a therapist uh, who is wonderful out in Toronto named Stephen Biggs. And we're going to write a book called uh, The Monster Under the Bed. (gasps) Sex, Depression, and the Conversations We're Not Having. Yeah, I'm very excited about it. That sounds marvelous. Yes. Sometimes I'll hear of a book somebody's going to write, and I'm just like, okay. <laughs> Yay for you. And that I'm like, yeah, do it, please. That sounds really exciting. Yeah, it's like people, kind of no matter what the topic, people just really want to be heard. But this was one where I just sensed such a frustration from people about not feeling heard because depression takes away so much of your autonomy anyway. And well, how do you mean? It feels like something invading your body that you can't control, right? Sudden, for some of us, suddenly, some of us over time, it feels like you're a different person and you don't know why. Mm-hmm. And when treatments don't work, you lose all sense of control. And because it's an invisible illness, there's often a hard time getting other people to understand. Mm-hmm. And it can be such a frustrating thing for people. And to have this other aspect of it, um, this desexualization almost, to have that part taken away from you can just make it even more maddening. Kind of actually desexualization that's so common for people as they age and as they have different disabilities. I hadn't thought about depression as being being part of that as well. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I... uh, self-disclosure I I mean my listeners already know I've been really depressed Mm -hmm. and have have I've had a lot of anxiety and um it's just been really dark several so honestly it's been several months Uh, and I have a therapist and all that um but it's been difficult and uh I think I had lost my libido already um not totally but I just started on a drug that's not an antidepressant uh, and it doesn't seem to be affecting my libido. But I will probably, once we figure out how this affects me, add antidepressants to that. And I'm curious. Like, I almost want to, like, I can't, not that I can't wait, but that feeling of, like, it's almost like a, a kinky fetish for, like, not being allowed to orgasm. Like, <laughs> like, will I be really horny? Will I be like, I just can't come? Will I be angry <laughs> at it? Will I be like, that's kind of hot? Like, I, I'm curious what's going to happen. Uh, when that goes down, <laughs> um, there's a there's a blogger um, Krista. Um, she's a pinkness on Twitter, and she's doing a project right now called Orgasm Quest, and mm-hmm. it's built around her uh, recent addition of antidepressants to her life, and mm-hmm. the fact that she can't orgasm as consistently as she usually could, and kind of following that process of like looking for her orgasms, and it's really fascinating to watch. 
That is fascinating. Is she switching up her medication or is she mainly... She um, just got insurance and so she hadn't been on medication for a bit and now she is on it and trying to kind of reconcile feeling better and not having her orgasms and finding her orgasms and getting everything right. And yeah. I mean, how much do you know about this? Because if being sad, I Mm -hmm. lose my libido and then I get on, let's say I get on antidepressants Mm -hmm. and I'm feeling a bit better. Is there a certain amount of libido coming back because you're happier versus, I mean, we're saying libido, like desire and the urge Mm -hmm. for sex. Mm -hmm. It's like, how happy can I get? To, like, counter the drugs that are helping me get happy, but right. keeping my my pleasure down. And there's, there's, there's like, a conundrum. There's, like, a catch-22, right? Because it's, like, you, you're, you're happy, but then you don't have libido, so that's kind of a downer. And, um, and it's – there's a whole set of things that you almost want to – I feel like there's got to be, like, a cool checklist or something we can make mm-hmm. for people to, like – figure that out because I know there have been times on certain medications where I've felt better and then I've looked up and realized I haven't thought about sex at all in three months and like it's just left my vocabulary and that's okay I you know I feel great except I have a partner and it's awkward now and you know (laughs) um so, is it the thing where when you try and get in the mood, it comes back, or does it just not even come back? So I have um I have I have beef with the um because there's a we're talking about sex or we're talking about depression so much more since Robin Williams passed away. It's just been so much more present in the media, and there's been a couple of uh, sex and depression articles out, and for the most part they've been great. But this piece of advice keeps popping up that says you know just do it. Because you know you might you might find that that you miss it that you like it that I have real beef with that piece of advice. Okay, because um, there's a certain degree of kind of like grit your teeth and bear it. Because you might find out that it's what you wanted to do, and where that the, the the big problem in that for me is that if you grit your teeth and bear it and figure out that it really was not what you wanted, you've added another element of lack of control okay for somebody who's already dealing with this feeling of not controlling their body that can come with depression mm-hmm. um that's why i'm back to the this checklist i wish could exist <laughs> because there is um one of the symptoms that we put in the survey was um so and we didn't want to just say general, like, lack of libido. So we said things like, you have sexual impulses, but you have no desire to act on them, which is kind of separate from, I can't even remember what sex is, or sex turns my stomach, right? So when you have sexual impulses, but you just, like, leaving the couch kind of sucks, that might be a time when you want to kind of just do it, because then you think you... Fig- you probably will get into it because you were just thinking about sex but leaving the couch sounded hard right you need somebody to get on the couch with you exactly but when you're having that moment where sex sounds like it'll turn your stomach that's probably the moment where gritting your teeth and, and making yourself do it is probably not the best oh, idea. Okay. i hadn't even considered that yeah. i guess my limited experience is more just that sounds nice. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, there's a talking to people um, before I put together the survey. I had people describe their experiences with lack of libido in so many different really vivid terms. It was really fascinating. What kind of vivid terms? Uh, the one that stood out the most was I forgot what sex was because that one I, I I was like oh yeah totes like I get that <laughs> um, but um, the like I would think about sex all the time but just couldn't do it mm-hmm. um, because that really spoke to how when you're depressed like brushing your teeth is harder than college just like getting up and doing anything is just meh. oh yeah yeah I, I definitely know the lying in bed and having just like thinking about getting up real hard but just not being able to. Um, and I spoke to somebody who talked about the idea, and I put this into a piece once, the idea of sex feeling like another demand on them and it making them angry. Oh, I can relate to that. Yeah. 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 So it was, it was 
an interesting kind of relationship to see play out because I thought we were just going to talk about like I didn't have sexual impulses anymore, like in like super clinical terms. And there ended up being this really graphic, descriptive language. Definitely. Well, the demand feeling like sex is another demand. That just also sounds like a maybe a negative way that they've come to relate relate to sex, unless it changed completely from before. Well, when you've got the lens of depression on, too, I think um, sometimes you get into that place where the phone ringing feels like another demand and, you know, the dog licking your foot. You're like, dude, what do you want now? Yeah. Yeah. Poor puppy. (laughs) It's okay. Um, I guess... Uh, we should backtrack for a minute and say, like, how would you describe depression? Because I've I've told a couple people, um, and I told a friend, and they were trying to reframe my depression as anything else. Like, oh, maybe you're just having a hard time with this, or oh, maybe this is just a phase about your relationship with your career, and like maybe it's this. And I was like, a dude, dude, and I didn't know how to describe depression in a way that he would understand. Mm-hmm. And he just kept on trying to stage an intervention with me seeing a psychiatrist. Like, I, I'm pretty clear on how I'm feeling and what it means. I have, um, for the last couple of years, I've been using this analogy to describe depression. Um, for me, it, it feels like, especially when I'm tipping into an episode, um, it feels like everybody else is, is on the shore, right? And I'm, I'm out in the water. And um, I'm, I, I don't want to bother anybody too much because I was raised Catholic and you, know, you don't really burden anybody. <laughs> um, so I, I, I keep trying to get people's attention. I'll put a hand up and, and, and they'll like wave back because they'll be like, hey, what up? <laughs> and um, and it's not right. So I'll put a hand up again and they'll wave back. And, and this goes on and on and on forever. And nobody understands them not waving. I'm drowning. Oh yeah, and that's what that's what depression feels like to me. Wow! And are you asking for help, but not being able to ask for help? Exactly. I'm trying to like these like subtle, quiet, like all like the only way I can like as much as I can bear to ask. But yeah. Aww. <laughs> I just have all the feels from that. Yeah, that's 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 my depression analogy. So, um, may I ask what um, drugs you're on? So, I have. Um, oh, my story. My story is fascinating. I realize I jumped. I'm so sorry. I jumped no from depression and sex to uh-huh. the experience of it being on antidepressants and sex, which uh-huh. I feel like are two different things. But I kind of assumed that the loss of libido from antidepressants is what you talk about a lot. And that was a struggle that we had putting together the project. Mm-hmm. Um, not a struggle so much as as like a realization we had that um, there was the experience of not of loss of libido or you know the way depression itself impacts sex and the way the treatments for depression impact sex and that those are actually separate or can be separate um, and that even then there's still they get wrapped up in this. Um, People will say things like, oh, well, depressed people don't want to have sex anyway. Like a doctor will say that or <laughs> I've had doctors say that to me. Um, and um, like they'll just be like, ah, oh, that's normal. I've, I've had I've had people I've had other sex positive people say that to me. And, you know, in some sometimes it's well-meaning. It's it's meant to be like a freeing thing, like don't put pressure on yourself because you're depressed and it's cool to not want to have sex now, you know. But um Again, it comes back to that desexualization thing, right? So um, I, I ended up writing a thing last, I'm losing track of time, year at some point, last year at some point, um, about ways to stay sex positive when you're feeling depressed. And it ended up being as much about just like finding ways to connect with your body and f- things that feel good for you and just not shutting yourself off from pleasure, Right on. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that's depression and sex. And then we start talking about antidepressants. And I don't I don't entirely think we need to treat them as separate issues entirely. I just said entirely a lot, but I don't think they need to be treated as completely separate issues. So many people end up dealing with both sides of the coin. Um 
But antidepressants and sex end up being the place where a lot of people need to really advocate for themselves when dealing with doctors um, because it's a place where when you get those, those sexual side effects and you try and talk to a doctor, sometimes your doctors are amazing. I've had great doctors with that. Um, but sometimes you will run into that, well, you know, if your depression symptoms are better, does it matter type of mentality that's kind of a holdover from an earlier time. Um, there's still a lot of sex and depression is the intersection of two taboo topics. Oh, you're right. They really are. Yeah. And um, so many of us right now are dealing with uh, primary care physicians for our depression care. Oh, that doesn't make any sense. I, I was definitely encouraged to see a, pri a regular doctor. I'm like, no. I will tell you, though. I'm going to sidebar for a minute. <laughs> I just had this massive breakthrough in my health care, and it only came about because my primary care physician... Sorry. I had this massive breakthrough, and it only came about because my primary care physician is handling all of my care. For years, I was having a psychiatrist handle my mental, um, a specialist handle these horrible migraines I was getting, and a primary care, and they didn't interact at all. I got this new awesome hippie doctor when my insurance kicked in, and she kind of became committed to figuring out what was actually going on with me, mm -hmm. why I was having all this stuff happen, why these migraines were getting worse, why my depression was kind of maintenance level meh for years. And uh, can I tell my story about the amazing thing that just happened? To I, 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 we're all on pins and needles. Okay. So I will tell you, um, I have been on a massive dose of Wellbutrin for three years now, since um, they basically stuck it on me after they stuck me on it after the death of my father, and we just kind of left me there. Okay, right. And uh, I've been taking drugs for um, migraines. It, it's like Valley of the Dolls up in here. I just pop a billion <laughs> pills every night. But the migraines have been getting worse. I um, canceled a the conference over the fall because I was migraining out so badly right before I got on the plane. Like, it's been bad. Thanksgiving weekend, mm -hmm. this hip injury, this random hip injury I have, it's causing me so much pain, I end up in a random urg urgent care clinic where they give me a random drug to take down the inflammation. Um, it happens to be like a steroidal drug. I go to my doctor a couple days later, and I say to her, oh, my God, I feel the best I have felt in years. Like, mentally, physically, I, I, like, I'm working like crazy. I, wow. I, my brain doesn't feel foggy. I don't want to eat everything in sight, which I have wanted to for the last couple of years. I felt amazing. And she said, okay, so that's not how people usually respond to that. Let's test your hormones. Have people ever tested your hormones? I said, no, they just always test my thyroid which my thyroid had always been normal. So she said, we're going to test your hormones. Wait, you, 10 years and you just had your hormones tested? 10 years. 10 years, we've tested my thyroid six times, but we'd never tested my hormones. And so as we're having this conversation, she looks and she notices that my left hand is tremoring. Um, this is kind of my bad. It's been doing that for about two years. I never mentioned it to anyone. And she said, okay, um got this hand tremor, you're getting migraines, you have this ongoing depression, I want an MRI of your brain. Okay, so cut to a couple days before Christmas, I go back, I get the results of all of these things. It turns out that um, my progesterone levels were, according to my doctor, non-existent. Um, and what that means is, if you look at the symptoms for low progesterone, they are depression, anxiety, foggy thinking, low libido, migraines. Um, basically, they were Joellen. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, um, uh, not being able to have kids, but I don't know about that, um, because IUD. But it basically described me, and it's nobody amazing. ever thought to look at it. Add to that, we got the results of my MRI, and it turned out I have a small, benign brain tumor. <gasps> wow. 
it was like a doctor, uh, an episode of, of House, House. Up there. I mean, seriously. And so um, it's it's called a meningioma. They're they're fairly common. Mary Tyler Moore had one, but <laughs> oh, how chic! <laughs> but um, based on where it is, it could be causing. Um, Headaches and personality changes that uh, personality changes. I'm air quoting right now, folks. Personality changes that could look like depression. So you have a, a two tier reason why you have depression, and and they were things that nobody ever thought to look for. Yeah, that's what that's WTFable right there. Wow. Yeah. Oh, congratulations, and I'm sorry on your brain tumor, but congratulations on it, too. You know, I, but it's, it, I keep saying it's kind of amazing, though. It's, it's, it's my brain tumor that is good news. Yeah. I call him Rick. You, what do you call him? <laughs> I call my tumor Rick. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, this is so not even about sex, but I had heartburn for about a decade, mm-hmm. and it was getting worse and worse to the point where the... I'd seen so many gastroenterologists and the last one was like, you're going to have cancer of your esophagus unless you stop eating all these different foods because it's so bad and I can go in and surgically and do a thing. Mm -hmm. But that's, those are your options. And so I starved myself for two months and lost tons of weight. I looked fabulous, (laughs) but I was so sad, (laughs) like cancer sad, you know, I just, oh no, turned out that no doctor had ever ultrasounded me and I had a huge cyst that was benign in my body pushing on my stomach and that's why I had not because I was eating wrong or because they needed to do something to my esophagus just a weird random cyst there's a saying in medicine um, when you hear hoofbeats don't look for zebras right Mm -hmm. and um, you know they they say it in medical school so look for the common causes not the not the rare ones but I I keep thinking about um, what's been going on with me and what was going on with you and thinking, well, yeah, but what if what's going on is zebras? What if zebras? Yeah. And the only reason I have answers now is this random fluke of a leg injury and a doctor who was willing to keep looking for zebras. Wait, and that brings me back to the steroidal pain inflammation killer. Why would that suddenly make you feel better? Um, so... <laughs> I'm not quite sure why it helped with why it tipped her off to the hormone thing, um, because the the hormone thing was what it made what it made her first suspect. Um, I'm not really sure why. Well, we're gonna find out someday for that. But she did tell me that um, it would have brought down the um, it would have uh, brought down some inflammation or made the tumor smaller or something. Oh, okay. Made there be less pressure around the tumor. So, um, yeah, I'm getting super medical here, people. That was exciting. <laughs> We're lucky I didn't call it a tumor jammy right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you get hornier when you felt better? Um, I didn't, but I'm taking progesterone now. So apparently there's a good chance I will. Fun fact, though, um, I have had a libido for the last three years. Okay. Um, and I looked at that and I said, okay, looking at what we have here, I shouldn't have had a libido at all. My libido coincides with when we put me on the massive dose of Wellbutrin, mm-hmm. the one antidepressant that's um, not supposed to take away your libido and has some recorded cases of giving people like extra libido. Extra libido. And so I think that. Street drug, street drug. <laughs> I think that it might be a, a funny case of my antidepressant being the reason I had a sex life and possibly the reason you have the redhead bedhead. Oh, <laughs> neat. Right? Whoa. Wow. Yeah. But what about the rest of us who don't have really cool brain tumors? <laughs> yes, we might not all have super cool brain tumors. What do you wish that people knew? If they are struggling on um, some antidepressant and are experiencing loss of libido or loss of ability to orgasm, even though they have libido, like, what would you say um, to them so they can hold with themselves? Hold with themselves so that they can, they can hold on to. So first and foremost, advocate for yourself, right? If, if you feel like your drug is taking away your sex life and that is 
depressing you, that is something to talk to your doctor about. If, however, you feel like your drug is a good choice for you and you're still struggling with the orgasm sex side of things, I think of it as like like a workaround, right? Because sex is not always all about the the orgasm, the big you know the big bang, whatever. Um, I, to be frank, am not a hugely orgasmic person, mm-hmm. um, so. She's just making a lot of I, I, physical I like, expressions. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm Italian. I talk with my hands, and that, that's totally lost on podcast audience. So I think remembering that there's so much to sex. There's so much touching and enjoying and, and so much that can be done that isn't the like big bang orgasm. And that's valuable, too. I had a sex partner several mm-hmm. years ago that was on antidepressants mm-hmm. and... Is there any shorter word for antidepressants? Anti-D. Anti-D, you know. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and, and we were kind of more of a casual thing, but we would hook up and he'd be having penetrative sex and he would lose his erection um, or he just, we would go on forever and I will have already done my thing and, and yeah. was having a good time, but he could not orgasm. Yeah. I was working so hard. Oh, there's, but actually, no, I've had a few partners. More on my dating side, not anything long term, where it was loss of erection or or not able to ejaculate. And I felt bad for them because they felt so bad. But like I was like, it's okay, it's totally fine. But it really it really threw them for a loop. There's a there's a couple there are a couple of symptoms that are really that are really rough and in my opinion you really should not have to abide by. Um, genital numbness is one you just lose the sensation entirely um with with men um erectile dysfunction can happen and sometimes when that is brought up to doctors they will try to solve it with viagra mm-hmm. um and then that turns into a a game of responding to one drug with another drug and it becomes an erection you can't necessarily Feel like I didn't even know about genital num- numbness. Genital numbness, yeah, that's actually one I learned a lot about in in uh, researching the survey. You just don't feel the stuff. Um, orgasms that take way longer. Mm-hmm. Um, orgasms that are unsatisfying are a thing that happen. Um, yeah, there's there's a whole array of things beyond what we traditionally think of as the um, like the lack of orgasm. Um, for women, um, lack of lubrication mm-hmm. is a thing that can happen. These are all things that I I really do firmly believe are not things we have to live with. I do think there are other answers for people. I met someone recently who we were talking about antidepressants mm-hmm. of all things and turns out that their doctor because they were having sexual side effects mm-hmm. so took it every other day and then um the day they missed they took a little booster drug okay. i'd never heard of that but mm-hmm. they were able to orgasm oh that's neat yeah and i do think um there's merit to the idea of if your doctor will not work with you see if you can find a doctor who will i know um, I, I've been hearing from people who are struggling with um, with uh, Affordable Care Act insurance and uh, the less access to doctors. But I will tell you, my rock star doctor is one of the few doctors I was allowed to see under the Affordable Care Act. And so I really do think that we can all have awesome guys, really. I'm rooting for you. <laughs> Aw. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I just I just broke up with a a bad doctor. So, and I'm excited about this year of medical. one of the experiments I'm working on this year too actually is um I'm embarking to uh try some stuff with some of the different toy options um to see if there are things that can um be helpful to genitals that are being kind of numbed and shut off by antidepressants. So, I'm looking at some of the e-stim toys. And I'm looking, oh, wow. Yeah. And I'm looking at, um, I was talking to somebody at AME who works with pumps. Mm-hmm. So I was looking at like the vulva cups for yeah, pumps. And, and circulation increase. Exactly. So I want to check out some things to see if there are, there are ways to kind of 
give people a little boost if their if their jugs are kind of shutting stuff down. Oh, you said drugs. I heard jugs. Nice. <laughs> yes, if your jugs are shutting you down. No, if the drugs are shutting you down. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, workarounds would be fun, right? Yeah, and I wonder about different frequencies of vibration and if mm-hmm. those access different nerves. And also, why are why are genitals going numb? Like, what is it that your nerves are just falling asleep? Like, what's happening? The genital numbness is not a side effect I've ever experienced. Um, yeah, so I and that's it's on my to research list for the book. Like, why each of these things happens? But that one was that one was news to me and kind of freaked me out. Yeah. Okay. Any other tips? Advocate for yourself. Uh, plug into sex as more than just an orgasm and enjoy all the things around it. And you don't have to actually tolerate all that uh, side effect. Make conscious decisions about sex, right? So we talked earlier about not just doing it, but also don't just not do it, right? right? So check in with yourself every day about how you feel about sex today, right? Because it's easy to get into the place of like, I'm depressed, I don't want to have sex, or my drugs have made me not want to have sex. But you might find if you check in that like, today, a blowjob sounds kind of awesome, actually, (laughs) right? And it, it gives you in addition to keeping you connected to your sexuality, it gives you a, a, a bit of that feeling of control of what goes on with your life and your body. And and also it's fun. And if you have a consistent partner, it gives you something to check in with them about so they feel like they know what's going on, too, because it can it can be really hard for partners who feel like they're kind of in the dark. Right. And they don't want to ask the wrong question and set you off or yeah, they don't want to be like, can we have sex now? And you're like, God, I hate you. Yeah. Like, look away. Oh. <laughs> and yeah, it's so interesting. I've, I've lived such a life of just being kind of all over the place and just, I'm, I hate to say ADD because I'm not actually certifiably ADD, but just, yeah, eating all the things, foggy headed a lot, but that's just been my life. Mm-hmm. And so the idea that a little little pill might help even things out a little bit is it's weird because I never was much of a pill popper. Yeah. Ever. Like I wasn't like, oh, I'm like I would deal with headaches and all sorts of things and not actually take medication. And there's a definite I mean there's I mean of course there's really negative associations with mental illness and people think about ooh that person, right? And there's a lot of negative associations with um, with taking medication every day and what that means. And I feel almost like somebody's going to think that I gave up a little bit. Yeah. And um, can you speak to that a little bit? Or what are your thoughts about um, people's added negative attitudes toward mental health? Oh, goodness. Um, <laughs> <laughs> too much, too much. Maybe. Well, no, it's, it's, it's weird. This is an issue I start thinking about. Um, Every time there is a suicide or it's going to sound bizarre mass murder cuz okay. that's that's when it um culturally people start talking about like let's catalog the mentally ill. Oh right right. Why right, aren't right. we keeping better track of the mentally ill? <laughs> and that's when I start getting in all these Facebook discussions about like guys you understand I'd be in one of those catalogs, right? Like who are you more afraid of? The girl who can't stop watching Gilmore Girls or the dude with the gun? Which one? <laughs> um and I, I think that the more we talk openly about these things, mm-hmm. um, it's it's like opening the closet and finding out the boogeyman's not there. Because the more we talk about it, and the more we shine a light on it, the more even the people who were making the faces and turning up their noses are saying, "Oh, well, actually, that that is me. I I know somebody who that is." You know, I, I said halfway through the project that I wasn't sure if it was just the people I surrounded myself with, but almost everybody I knew seemed to be or be closely connected to someone who was depressed. Um, I think that there is still stigma. I think that it's getting better. I think that I probably won't shut up until it goes away. (laughs) Rock on. Yeah, the Robin Williams thing was a huge, had a huge impact. I mean, I I, I couldn't believe it. I get weirdly choked up about Robin Williams, but I feel like 
Um, he gave so much to the world, and I feel like his final gift was this helping to lift some of that stigma. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, the funniest person. Yeah. Strange. Yeah. Mm. Oh, Ms. Naughty. Redhead Bedhead, where can people find you out in the world? You can find me at redheadbedhead.com. You can find me on Twitter at Bedhead Tweeting or on Facebook at The Redhead Bedhead. <laughs> it's like a whole tongue twister. <laughs> <laughs> oh, also on Pinterest. My Pinterest is gorgeous. Um, and I'm Bedhead Pinning. Wow, I've never heard anyone sell their Pinterest like well, that before. It's, it's, where, um, it's where I keep my map of North America's best sex shops. Oh, okay, that's right. Uh, yes. Didn't you went on a tour? I did. I did. I did a tour. I went to, um, God, like forty-five of North America's best sex shops. Did you just like teach along the way? Is that how you did it? No. Um, this was actually it was amazing. I it started because I was living in Boston. And I dropped off business cards at Good Vibrations, and then I dropped them off at a crappy sex shop. And it was so crappy that I got really mad, and I wrote a blog post about why good sex shops matter. And people wrote in about, like, you should go to this shop, and you should go to this shop. And I knew I was about to move from Boston to Portland, and I had no job waiting for me, and so I had time. And so I conceived this idea. And um, because they're really nice people, we vibe, and uh, Blossom Organics gave me some money. And I just kind of went down the eastern seaboard and then across the country going to all of these shops. It was amazing. Fantastic. Yeah. Did you go to any scary, weird ones, too? You know, I really should have. I should have, like, thrown them in along the way, but I didn't. I, I really stuck to the good ones. It was fun. <laughs> I went on a cross-country uh, road trip several years ago, and I went into a sex shop slash drive-in porn movie theater in El Paso, Texas, it's intense, man. It's real intense. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a couple of the good shops are down at the bottom of the country. I haven't gotten to them yet because they're not near anything. Really? Yeah, there's one in Austin and there's one in Albuquerque. Oh yeah, I just uh, taught at the one in Austin. Oh, in Albuquerque, yes. Yeah. I want to go there at some point Me too. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you so much for making some time to talk with me about this. Thank you. <laughs> go team, fun, you guys. Cheer up. <laughs> Now leaving Nerdist.com.